Listen, if you're here, pull out the sermon notes. That would be helpful to follow along with what's going on. If not, you know the drill. Click below. There's a link uh, that, that gives you the handout that uh, is a good spot to kind of follow along where we're going. Uh, we tend to go right through books of the Bible uh, here at Neighborhood Bible Church. We're in Luke chapter 23 today. We've made it to the final two chapters in Luke. And um, so we're going to be looking at the first couple of verses. So go ahead and get that open. Um, if you want to participate in live chat, log in and, and participate that way as well. So I grew up pledging allegiance to our nation's flag every single day. Uh, this last Wednesday, the flag waved at our house as a tribute to those who, um, uh, you know, veterans past and present. I'm deeply thankful for the unseen essential work that goes on uh, in that realm. That said, I also grew up with a distinct awareness that I had dual citizenship. In 1971, I was born in San Jose into American citizenship. In 1988, I was born again into a divine citizenship. The allegiance that I pledged growing up was and is secondary. I am not a Christian American, but an American Christian. Here's what I mean by that. It means that my identity, my goals, my values, and my nationality are all subject to Christ. So each morning at Country Lane Elementary School in West San Jose, my school day began with the Pledge of Allegiance, which concludes with these words, with liberty and justice for all. When I asked this morning, how do we achieve this? Liberty and justice for all. Such a high ideal. It's still such a stirring and moving concept. Here's the answer. The answer is truth. Liberty and justice for all resides in truth. Truth sets you free. Does it not? That's liberty. Truth sets you free. And truth is essential for justice to occur. Would you agree with me? I can't see nods at home, but I can see nods in here. Do you agree with this? Okay, good. You're with me. So truth is a key that unlocks a past that holds you from your dreams. Think about it. Think about the dreams you have, the dreams you want to become. There is a past that keeps you locked there unless there's truth brought to it. Truth is a key that unlocks a present that confines you in fear. And truth is a key that unlocks a future that is utterly filled with possibility and joy. I am not over-speaking here. Truth is that big. It's that important. We're going to frame this whole exchange that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 23 around this concept of truth. What is truth? Remember Pilate asking Jesus that? That's in our text today. Luke doesn't record it, but John does. And we're going to look at this whole um, exchange with Jesus and Pilate around this idea of what is truth. This question that Pilate famously asked Jesus takes place every day. It's a universally discussed, debated idea. All humans everywhere want to get at, intuitively know that they want to get at truth. 
Now, truth takes two forms. A quick, a quick mini lesson on truth, so we kind of define terms and sort of put them in categories. We may not normally think of it in these terms, but I want to just sort of put this here. It takes on two forms, subjective truth and objective truth. If you have kids, or even if you just want to kind of do this in your mind, play the fact and opinion game. As you're watching something on a screen today, right now, as you're watching the news tomorrow, as you're watching a commercial, um, ask yourself, is this, is this a fact or opinion? Are facts being uh, on, on display, being discussed, or is this an opinion? The fact or opinion game is really good at sort of cluing your mind into objective, subjective truth. Here's an example number one, okay? Marianne's ice cream in Santa Cruz. Anyone tracking with me know what that is? Okay, yeah, got some thumbs up. That woke people up. We should have had samples, man. See, this is how you taste and see that the Lord is good. All right, here it is, ready? Here is the best order at Marianne's Ice Cream in Santa Cruz. It's a double junior scoop of Northern Oregon Blackberry and chocolate fudge brownie on a sugar cone. Okay, that is, that is the... James, we connect. That is the best order at Marianne's Ice Cream. It's absolutely true. Watch this. For this subject. Right? That's absolutely true. Amen. We got an amen. For this subject, for this person, that's absolutely true. You can't take that away from me. You don't even know what my favorite is. I just told you what it is. But that's absolutely true for me. Now, objective truth is reality regardless of the subject. Objective truth is that which exists outside of the individual. Probably the easiest to get our heads around is just gravity, right? We call them the laws of gravity. So gravity is something that's objectively true. Objective reality um, cares not about your opinion. Objective reality doesn't act or not act based on whether you know that it's real or true or not. It just is. It's just there. So objective truth simply is the way that the world is. It's that which corresponds to reality. Tracking? Subjective truth, objective truth. Now, sometimes we get into needless arguments about who is right and what is true. Would you agree with this? We haven't even hit Thanksgiving yet, but we know this is true. Sometimes we get into needless arguments about what is right and what is true. Uh, we do a lot of distance learning at our home, and sometimes kids are here in my office with me. I was in my office, and I heard my two 10-year-olds having this conversation. We are in North America, says one. No, we're not, says the other. We're in the Western Hemisphere. I was studying, doing some typing. I thought, well, this is an interesting conversation. They went back and forth with this. No, 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 no. We are in North America. No, that's not true. We're in the Western Hemisphere. So I'm sort of sitting here going, okay, my kids are pretty smart, and so they'll figure this out. They went back and forth a little bit, and then one of them says this. Here, let me show you. And in my office, I have a globe that sits in my office. I asked for a, a new wetsuit for Christmas, um, probably my freshman year of college, and instead my mom got me a globe. I'm over the bitterness, but just barely. Um, it's actually served to be a really great thing to sort of keep my, my head around the whole globe. So the globe was brought out onto my desk. I thought, here we go. They're going to figure this out. And so they started talking through, we're in North America, no, we're in the Western Hemisphere. We all see the problem with this, right? It's not or, it's and, right? You're both right. Like, let's slice up the globe and let's figure this out. 
And so sometimes we get into needless arguments because we're so locked into our idea, our perspective of how we're slicing up the globe about where we are that we can't see another perspective, even with facts sitting sort of right in front of us. It's not a problem limited to 10-year-olds, is it? Truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is out there. For you X-Files fans, it turns out those people were right, right? Truth exists. It is out there. So Jesus is on trial, but Jesus doesn't get executed out of thin air, does he? There's context. There's buildup. We've been tracking the buildup to this for some time in Luke. And Luke, as a storyteller, as a gospel writer, as a recorder of what's going on, he has led us to chapter uh, 23 quite on purpose. What I want to show you is how truth is central to God's character, and is absolutely vital for his plan on the planet. Here's a central truth that I have in your notes. Uh, You don't even have to write it down. I just want you to get this, see it, stare at it. Like a key, the truth sets you free only if you use it. Truth can sit there completely real, completely available. If we never use the key, we don't unlock our lives. Make sense? The truth must be received. The truth must be applied. The truth must be clung to. The truth must never be abandoned. We're going to see this played out in Luke 23, that when those things happen, when it's not applied, when it's not received, when it's not clung to, when it is abandoned, bad things happen. In fact, Luke 23 actually shows humanity at its absolute worst. Corruption, cowardice, duplicity, hatred, deception. And by the way, I'm describing the leaders, the political religious, legal leaders of that society. Here's my problem with secular humanists who say, we're right around the corner from evolving into a better state. I look at this and I go, phew, I'm glad that was 2,000 years ago that our political, legal, and religious leaders are full of corruption, cowardice, duplicity, hatred, and deception. Phew, boy, we have gone a long way from that, haven't we? 2,000 years, that's way behind us think not. So chapter 23 shows humanity at its its absolute worst, but it also shows humanity at its absolute best. On the way to the cross, Jesus lives out what we see in nature all the time, and that is this, that light shines the very brightest in the darkest moments. This is just a natural truth. It's an objective truth. You take a tiny little light, you put it in a very, very pitch black dark space, it shines really bright. On the way to the cross, as Jesus walks through fire, I want you to marvel at, to sit with and observe and think in your own brain, where else do we see this happening? Marvel at the humility, at the restraint, at the dignity, at the strength, at just the pure truthfulness of Jesus. There was an ancient prophecy about the Son of Man that would come, this Messiah that would come and set up an eternal kingdom. 
And most everyone of the day of Jesus got this wrong. They had it in their head as a conquered people that it was something completely different. But if you read it, you see that this suffering servant, is what was, it, that it would be a suffering servant, that it would be a Messiah, a son of man coming in humility. Look at this ancient prophecy, Isaiah 53. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Keep in mind this prophecy as we read the account of Jesus. Don't let the familiarity of the story, of, of the story sort of let, let this be lost on you. Jesus walks through this trial, and for the next two weeks, we're going we're gonna to take a look at this. You know, there's more than just world events that are being recorded by Dr. Luke. There are spiritual realities with theological implications. The good doctor is what we're calling this series. It's the God doctor. Jesus is God. His, his humanity and divinity reside in this body. But his divinity is ramping up, being on display as he heads to the cross. What's the tagline of our series, this whole, this whole gospel of Luke through? It's hopeful healing for all. Liberty and justice for all. Truth for all. The only way for this to occur was that the good doctor do what no other doctor can do, and that is to become the substitute. Think of that Isaiah passage, to take the oppression, to take the affliction, to take the judgment, to take the slaughter as the sacrificial lamb so that, watch this, we can live free and clear. So that we can live free and clear. Liberty and justice are all found in one thing that isn't a thing at all. It's a person. It's in the life Jesus lived and extends to us. Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is shining light on what is. He's shining light on reality. The truth is shining light on truth. C.S. Lewis says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it... I see everything else. I want you to look at this title image for a moment. Liberty and justice for all. This did not originate with America, and it has not been perfected in America. Only truth allows freedom and justice to occur. Without truth, there's no liberty or justice. In the liberty and justice of Jesus, it's eternal And it's universal. The love shown on the cross looms over the whole planet. This is a once for all time, once for all people act that we're pointing towards. And finally, do you see that the picture is a little bit blurry? Why is that? The picture is a little bit blurry because um, we see the way things really are. God gives us the lens to see everything else as it is. But we don't see it exactly. Which means this, 
we got to walk in humility. We've got to walk in humility. Do we see the way things really are with the world and with spiritual realities? Yes and no. We see things the way that they really are, but it's like in a, in a stirred-up pond kind of an image. You know, this Thanksgiving, um, you might be reminded by someone, maybe over a Zoom call, depending on how you're doing Thanksgiving, you might be reminded of someone not to talk about religion or politics. Anyone else struggle in their family when they gather for family, and they're like, let's just table religion and politics. Why is this a rule in families? I think because religion and politics has a way of bringing out the absolute worst in all of us. It just has this way of like dredging up terrible behavior that we're like, your family, I can dump it on you. I've been storing this up for Thanksgiving. It brings out the worst in us. You know, all this good food we're about to eat, it's already going to be a chore on our body to digest this food. So let's not add indigestion uh, problems that are naturally going to be there by, by adding these topics in a negative kind of way. Today's passage is an absolute powder keg. Watch this because it has religion and politics and the legal system all wrapped up into one little compartment. So hold on. Here's how this is laid out. Luke is going to take us at absolute breakneck speed. He just kind of moves very quickly at this point to the cross. And he takes us to four courtroom scenes. We're going to cover two of them this week. And we'll cover two of them next week. So, number one is sort of the local superior court. It's Jesus before the Sanhedrin. It's Jesus before the council. Same, same group of people. These are the Jewish leaders. Now, we looked at this in depth a couple of weeks ago, but last passage. Um, and it's found really at the end of chapter 22. Here's what's going on with the Jewish leaders of the day. This is the local superior court. First step, Jesus on trial. These men have proven to be willfully opposed to the truth. If you are willfully opposed to the truth, you're living in dangerous territory. No question about it. Why would I say this? I say this because we see Jesus teaching every single day in the temple. They've already come at him with all these different things. Jesus has answered clearly, concisely, lovingly, full of grace, full of truth. And these men are opposed to it. So it is when they get their hands on Jesus from the garden, arrest him. They are willfully opposed to the truth. Um, They are intent on condemning an innocent man. We're going to see this through this entire chapter. These men are are, are intent on condemning an innocent man. Jesus speaks the truth. Are you the king of the Jews? You say that I am. And then he introduces himself with the son of man title. These are true things. And they use it to miscarry justice, to condemn him to death with the truth that he speaks. Here's a reality that you all know is true. And that is that truth is more than facts. Isn't it true you can do a lot with with facts? You can do a lot with facts and statistics that are completely accurate to paint a completely inaccurate picture of what's real. It must be interpreted accurately to arrive at truth. Here's a funny statement going around right now, which we're going to get more into in a a, a moment. Science is real. I agree with that. I think that's a great thing to, to state out loud. Here's another thing I don't see as much of. Scientists are real. Why is that important? Because science is real is one piece of it, 
Every bit of knowledge, that's what the word science means, is interpreted through a scientist. Right? Every truth is processed through a thinker. The only question is, are they a good scientist or a bad scientist? An accurate thinker or an inaccurate thinker? Facts must be interpreted. Think about creation. Think about climate. Think about COVID. Friends, we all have access to the same facts. We're all looking at the same facts. It's how we are interpreting it. The way you interpret it matters. As a witness of Jesus' great grace, I pray that you are constantly growing in love and changing tactics when it comes to being a preacher of Jesus. If you follow Jesus Christ, you're a preacher of Jesus. You are to be a witness. You do bear witness whether you open your mouth or not. Whether you consider yourself a witness or not, you are bearing witness when you name the name of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this, massive hurdles in our culture are falling right now. I would say things that used to be roadblocks and barriers, hurdles, have become paved, smooth road for us to walk forward on in loving our neighbor. Let me show you what I mean. Right now, there's a lawn sign that you can purchase for $21 plus $13 shipping on Amazon, and you can post your creed right on your front lawn. Now, that's provided that it lines up with everything that's being packaged and sold. I don't really see an a la carte option here. I don't see a lawn sign that says, I agree with some of these, but not these. So if your beliefs line up with this right here, you can purchase for a relatively small amount of money and put it on your lawn. Many of my neighbors, I walk and bike my neighborhood all the time. Many, many, many of my neighbors have this sign on their front lawn. Christian, doesn't it stand to reason that we would engage with this? Right? I mean, if a book or a movie is a bestseller, you ought to get your head around what are people connecting with? What is God's truth in this? How can we engage with this? Let me just show you some some conversation stoppers that have turned into conversation starters. I have been born and raised in San Jose. I minister in the city I was born in. I love it. For almost my entire life, if you began to try and talk about spiritual things with people, many, many people would say, and it was culturally acceptable to say, I am not a person of faith. In other words, you have your belief, you're a person of faith, I get it, I'm not a person of faith. Look at this lawn sign for a second. It's on many of our neighbor's lawns. It says, in this house, we believe. That means that we've come to know and accept as true. We trust in this. We're confident enough to stake our claim on our front lawn and show other people our beliefs. In reality, we're all people of faith, aren't we? When there's knowledge and then a gap in knowledge, it requires faith to close that gap. You may have faith in your local politicians. You may have faith in your local pastor. You may have faith in your local uh, just community of, of, of people or your trusted sources of, of information. But we all have gaps in our knowledge, and, and those gaps 
Make every person a person of faith. That's always been true. But now it's openly stated, in this house we believe. We have come to believe in these things. So a person who says, I'm not a a person of faith, no longer says that. Here's a great opening question. How did you come to believe this? Neighbor of mine, how did you come to this conclusion? Here's a pro tip. Close your mouth and really listen. Really ask the question from a spirit and heart of curiosity Not to go, let me get my response already, because I already know you're wrong. How did you come to believe this? There's huge power in being asked to give a defense for what we believe. As Christians, we talk about this all the time. I know why I believe what I believe. It's not a mystery to me. I think about it all the time. Many people, when pressed about their beliefs, they don't have that, that same thing. Maybe they do. Maybe you'll learn something. Here's number two. I grew up with this. There is no truth. This was all of my college years, all of my youth pastor years, and almost all of my time at this church for the last 14 years. There is no truth. Well, guess what? On this lawn sign, science is real. To which the church should resoundingly say, Amen and amen. I love that that is on people's lawns. Science is real. I mean, the word just means knowledge. So it's saying that knowledge is real. Truth is out there. Knowledge can be known. This is a great starting point, church. I mean, this is common ground for us. Here's another one. All truth is relative. This was another hurdle that I constantly would have to come over and and, and overcome. Of course, a a great comeback to that that's just sort of a fun way to keep the conversation going is, well, is that truth relative? Right? Because the statement, all truth is relative, is an absolute statement. Well, that must be relative. That's true for you. It's not true for me. Now we have a sense that this hurdle is pavement In this house, we believe, some signs say, in our America, and there's a list of things. In this house, we believe, in our America, and so here's what it is. By implication, if you don't believe in these core set of beliefs, you are wrong. You wouldn't put on your front lawn that in our America these things exist unless you believe they're the right way to go. And by by implication, if you don't believe these, you are wrong. Hear this. This is a win for absolute truth. That right and wrong extend into the waters of morality. Man, this is a huge connecting point, church, for your neighbors who may have zero interest in talking spiritual matters with you. And before, you would have had to overcome these three and one more, and now they are pavement for you. Here's one more, very quickly. It's arrogant to share your beliefs. Do not share your beliefs with others. Keep them to yourself. And you can't legislate morality. Both of those are nonsense. You know what? It's open season right now on this, isn't it? It's open season on sharing your beliefs. I mean, for $13.99 on Amazon, tons of people are buying into that. They're, shared, they're just, they're spewing their beliefs all over the place. 
Do not recoil at this. Move towards this. Engage with this. It's not arrogant to share your beliefs or legislate your morality. In fact, this has always been true. All legislation is moral. You are deciding what is right and wrong by what is legal or illegal. And as for not pushing beliefs, I mean, people are putting their family creed on their lawn for all to see. Now, don't even get, get me started on a couple more of these. Love is love and kindness is everything. Aren't these the very core of what Christ came and modeled and taught us and showed us the way, showed us the truth on how to walk in these? Absolutely. These are connecting points. There's one more, not on, not on this version, but there's another one that says, um, that says water is life. I mean, honestly, just as a surfer and ocean lover and drinker of water, I'm like, yes, I agree with that one too. There's so much connecting point. So on this note, hear me really clearly. Do not weaponize what you know. Aren't there enough one-liners and opinions that are being shot back and forth and the loudest, most brash one seems to be getting the most spotlight? You know who doesn't get a lot of spotlight? The humble servant of God. The one living and walking in truth that just genuinely has care for others. That doesn't sell very good. So don't weaponize what you know. Be helpful, not just truthful. This is a value we have around our church staff. It's not enough to just be truthful. Be helpful with it. Go the extra mile. Don't just spout out the truth. Say, God, how can this be the most helpful for this person? Parents, you already do this with your kids. You don't just drop truth grenades on them and hope it works. You go, how does this kid receive it? How is this one going to receive it? How will it help this one the most? It's most helpful sometimes to not spew out what you know. What if we make our neighbors our friends instead of making neighbors our projects? Huge difference, right? Friendship, we just, we invest in the process. We say, I'm here to invest in loving my neighbor instead of I'm here to make a convert, Or I'm here to show how very wrong they are. Bob Goff says this, picking a fight is easy. Loving each other when we disagree is how we grow. Man, picking a fight is easy. I would agree with that. Far more important than Bob Goff is what Jesus says on it. Jesus says says what he means and does what he says. Through this literal and figurative trial that Jesus is walking through, think back to Luke chapter 6 for a moment. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Jesus will model this in this passage. So like a key, the truth sets you free, but only if you use it. All this points to the reality of this part of of Scripture, and that is that truth matters. It's foundational. Without truth, you will miscarry justice every single time. We're going to watch that in Luke 23. And without truth, you will never be free. 
So, we get to Luke 23, 1. Now, I know you're thinking, wow, pace-wise, Dave, you're a little bit off. I am setting up more for next week, okay? We're going to get through 1 through 25 in two weeks. We're going to cover about the first five to seven verses this morning, but this is set up for next week as well. We've seen Jesus at the local superior court. That's the council. Now he moves on to the equivalent of the state supreme court, okay? To kind of put it in modern, you know, sort of our vernacular, it's Jesus before Pilate. Pilate would be something like the state supreme court. Jesus answers about being a king in the same way that he does with the Jewish council. We're going to read the passage in a second. Let me give you a few things to kind of watch for. Jesus' answer does not deny the truth, but it also keeps him from entering into pointless banter with someone who's not interested in the truth. Does this relate to Thanksgiving? I mean, even if we don't show up with our family, how can I be truthful and yet not enter into pointless banter that, that, that the truth really isn't being sought? For humble enough and honest enough will say, that's not just one-sided. It stirs up things in me that I don't know why, but I can't control it. Learn from your leader. Learn from Jesus. He answers Pilate in much the same way he answers the council. He's now talking to a middle, sort of a middle manager of Rome, a little mini king of the Roman kingdom. Jesus also is a king, but he's absolutely nothing like Pilate. Jesus has no interest in a political kingdom that is established by politics, public opinion, or force. The kingdom Jesus rules touches on all of life. But he is not interested in setting up an administration, a kingdom, by politics, public opinion, or force. Friends, there are so many connectors to our daily headlines and what we're living through right now. I don't even have time to make them. I hope you're seeing them, though. Setting up your kingdom by politics, public opinion, Enforced. That's not Jesus' way. So learn from this episode. God has seen fit to carefully record history. Because history really does repeat itself. So there are things we can glean from what happened in the Near East 2,000 years ago. Luke 23, verse 1 reads as follows Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. They had just come from the sham trial of the Sanhedrin. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this, in, in this man. But they were urgent saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. Let's pause there for a minute. Let me shock you. Most people in here are sitting down, so it's not going to hurt anyone. But let me shock you that political leaders sometimes have hidden motives. <gasps> in America? Yes. The Jewish council is dead set on getting rid of Jesus. This has become priority number one for them, blinding them to other priorities that may have once had a voice in their life. Maybe they got into office to consider these questions. 
what is true, what is right, what serves the people the best. All of that at this point is out the window, and they are carried along by fear and ambition. Truth is being trumped by something else. They face two obstacles that are sort of linked together. They have this goal of getting rid of Jesus. They have two obstacles ahead of them. Number one is this. Only Rome has the legal authority to issue the death penalty. Of course, they could have done it, but that would have been a smear on them uh, as, as religious leaders. They are clearly violating what's going on. So only Rome has the authority to issue the death penalty. Number two, the crimes of Jesus don't interest Rome. The authorities in Rome couldn't care less about the blasphemy that has them so riled up. It wouldn't even gain a hearing. So here's what the Jewish religious leaders do. They devise a plan. They switch tactics. They act quickly to advance their cause. What's their cause? Not truth, not what's right, not what serves the people. How do we silence Jesus? Enough is enough. Here's what they do. Ready for it? They craft a narrative. The council crafts a narrative. Here's the narrative. Jesus is a threat to Rome. If he is not stopped, he'll stir up a rebellion. We won't take a lot of time on this, but any narratives going on in our world today? Any difficulty sorting through? What's a narrative being crafted and what's the truth? You know why it's so difficult? Satan's called the the angel of light, right? He doesn't come in just big, bad, scary all the time. He comes cloaked in truth. When you mash a narrative filled with falsehood and different motives, and you sort of mash potato it up with truth, it's hard to separate. It's hard to figure those things out. From COVID to climate to convictions about a host of issues, it can be hard to arrive at what is true. Spin abounds. In case you don't know this, your social media feed is set up to keep you in this cul-de-sac of thought, reinforcing what you already believe, click on, like, and, and all of that. I mean, like, like no other time is, is, is a certain narrative able to be crafted just for you. The Jewish leaders, along with Roman politicians, show us something that is still absolutely observable and true in 2020. Blind ambition blinds. Blind ambition blinds. And time reveals the truth. Think about this. 2,000 years after this event, it's Jesus who is worshipped as having all power and authority and truth. And it's Pilate and Herod and the Jewish leaders, they're the ones on trial now and being found as liars. Why? Because time reveals what is true. You would never have imagined that to be the case of who holds the real power And what's clearly true or not true if you were part of the crowd that day? Remember that. Proverbs 12.5 says this, the the thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. It's not just that they're wrong. 
The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Church, live in the truth. Pursue it first and most. Cling to it. Let the timeless realities of Scripture interpret the headlines and shape your convictions, not the other way around. Don't find convictions you agree with and try to slap Bible verses onto it, hoping it's true. Submit yourself, humble yourself under the teaching of the Word. It's what you're doing right now. I hope it's a daily practice, not a weekly practice. Verse 4, it says, Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. This will be a really important refrain. Over and over, Pilate, Herod, Pilate again. I find him innocent. Luke, take pains to show us he's an innocent man. But they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. In all of this, Pilate finds no guilt. The Jews have pled their case. Pilate sees it differently. Proverbs eighteen seventeen: The first to plead their case seems right until another comes and examines him. Sensing the legal approach slipping away, the Jewish leaders ramp up the rhetoric. Public opinion is a great tool for getting your way. It says, but they were urgent saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and Galilee, even to this place. This is yet another lie, isn't it? They've already made up a couple of trumped-up charges. Does Jesus say not to pay taxes to Rome? Quite the opposite. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's. He's on record for that. Does Jesus stir the people up? No. And then the third accusation is he says he's a king. That's a true statement. But even that they twist. So here's another lie. The Jewish leaders are, are, are doing the very thing they're accusing Jesus of. They are the ones stirring up the crowds, not Jesus. There will always be a miscarriage of justice without the truth. They're going to return to this soon. We'll look at it next week. Crucify, crucify is what they stir the crowds into. Next week, this Jesus on trial episode continues. We're going we're gonna to get to the final two sort of court scenes. It goes to Herod, then back to Pilate, and the posturing and the compromise doesn't get any better. We just continue to see politicians acting like politicians. What we see in Jesus, the good doctor, is that not only does he stand trial, but he stands up to scrutiny. I want to invite the band to come on up. We're going to sort of switch gears into a little season of communion. I want to leave you with this central truth that like a key, the truth sets you free only if you use it. The best speech, the highest knowledge, the most intense faith, the largest demonstration of sacrifice, all of it is nothing without love. I'm seeing a lot of speeches. I'm seeing a lot of promises. I'm seeing a lot of people displaying their faith. It all comes to nothing without love. And hear this clearly. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Pray with me. 
Father, I pray that you would grow us as a people. I thank you for the simple humility of coming and gathering and arriving at church expecting to be under the teaching of your word. God, to be open to what you would say about us, to be receptive of it, to cling to it, to never abandon it. God, I pray the words we sing would be the reflections and mirror of our heart. God, we're not there perfectly yet, and so that means this morning, right now, would you draw us into this life you've invited us to participate in. Amen.